stuffing up our schedules with things that have little or no eternal value, leaving us no room for those that do. I know that you are busy. I know that you are maybe busier than you've ever been in your life, but have you figured out whether you are crazy busy or not? Most of us have been or are currently crazy busy, and if you are, what would you like to change? What is it that you hope to, to gain from a series of messages of God's Word? Well, I have several expectations. First expectation I have is that we're going to figure out why we're caught up in such a busy lifestyle that it keeps us tired and distracted so much of the time. I have an expectation to gain from this book God's wisdom, God's insight, and learn from the examples of people like Jesus and Paul and others who somehow figured this out, who, who got this right in their lifetime. I have an expectation that we can learn how to live so that our lives will truly honor God and so that we can accomplish whatever He wants us to accomplish, not what we set off to accomplish. So those are my expectations. What are yours? We need to live our lives with purpose. We need to live, live them with, with inten, intentionality, to, to, to think about our lives ahead of time and to go after something that God wants us to do. But so many of us are just caught up in our busyness and we really don't even have time to stop and think. David said he sometimes stops and thinks. Well, that's good because a lot of us never do. We just run from one thing to another and we end up exhausted at the end of the day. We sleep till the alarm goes off the next day. We start the whole rat race again and then crash in bed at night. We need to live with purpose. As a small example of our busyness the other day, Jane and I had a quick lunch together and then I was going to go back to work and, and uh, I, I said, remember those chocolate chip cookies we have in the freezer? So she ran and got us each a cookie. And she says, well, here's yours. Do you want me to microwave it? I says, I don't have time to microwave my cookie. <laughs> and I thought, that is crazy. I don't have time to microwave? You know, 15 seconds would warm it up. But I just wanted to gobble it down and go on with the day. We need to ask ourselves, how did we get here? How did we get to this point in our lives where we've become so, so busy? And when we figure that out, we need to ask ourselves a bigger question. How do we stop that? How do we stop being crazy busy so we can begin living the way God wants us to live? The problem isn't a calendar. The problem isn't our schedules. We don't fix it by changing the calendar, by reducing the number of activities, the number of responsibilities that we're trying to accomplish. The problem is deeper because it goes inside. The problem is, is in us. It's in our hearts. It's in our minds. The problem is me. The problem is you. So let's try to get inside today. That's, that's the point of today's message. How can we get inside and figure out what's going on? What got us here and how can we stop it? Let's take a deep look inside your heart and mind. Well, thankfully, when we look inside our hearts, we do find some good things there. We find out that there's some, some good things. We, we care. That's why we're busy. We are responsible. That's why we're busy. We love God. We want to serve God. We have a desire as followers of Christ that God would use our lives, that he would be honored through our lives, and so on. So, so there's that goodness there. That is intentional, and it is purposeful. We're not lazy. Uh, you know, lazy people are not busy. 
the Proverbs talks about that, the sluggard, you know, that can't even raise his hand to his mouth for the food because he's so, so lazy, he can't even go through the effort of that, feeding himself. We're not that. So there's that goodness. But why is there all this craziness in our lives? Kevin DeYoung, the author of Crazy Busy, confesses that he's always been a responsible person. He's always volunteered to do things for people. He was the kid in elementary school, he said, that wanted to answer all of the teacher's questions, you know, kind of an annoying kind of child. (laughs) He never skipped a class in college. He went through four years of college and never skipped a single class. Who does that? He felt terrible the two or three times he had to miss chapel, you know. He just, just thought that was wrong. He never cheated on a test. He never faked a term paper and used somebody else's. He tried to help other people along the way. But now that he's 40-something, Kevin DeYoung thinks that he should have a very clear idea of what God wants him to do, what he's supposed to do with his life. But he still struggles sometimes with clear direction, with specific God-given instructions for his daily life. And he wonders... What does God really want me to do with my life? Let's be clear, God. Let's be specific about this. Maybe you've struggled with that. You know, you love God, you want to serve God, but how do I do that? And what do I do about some of these situations and problems I see around me? DeYoung said this, I know the Bible says a lot about widows and orphans, but what do I do? Where do I start? Where do I find the time? How can I possibly meet all those obligations? I have five children, a full-time job. I try to be generous with my money, try to share my faith once in a while, try to do my family devotions more often than not, try to take my wife out on a date once every week or so, try to respond to the needs in my church, and try to pray for the poor and the lost. Is it possible, he asked, that God is not asking me to do anything about sex trafficking right now? That's the struggle of life. We see so many issues, so many problems that we could get involved in, so many things we could try to fix. How can we do it all? Well, we can't. Behind all of this crazy business, there is a cause, isn't there? There's a reason that we feel that way, a reason why we do what we do. What is our motivation? What is our goal? Why do we do what we do, and for whom do we do it? Well, DeYoung says that for many of us, We just live for ourselves, and that answer is really easy. If you just live for yourself, the answer is a five-letter word, pride, P-R-I-D-E. Pride in himself is what got Satan thrown out of heaven, and pride is what gets us in trouble too. Pride's kind of like that root sin of it all. Look behind every sin, there's pride in some way. And so, DeYoung says, pride is subtle. It is shape-shifting. There is more of it at work in our hearts than we know and more of it pulsing through our busyness than we realize. Pride, he calls the villain with a thousand faces. And so in his book, he talks about 12 different faces of pride. 12 causes for our crazy busyness. All of them begin with the letter P. He's a preacher after my own heart. You know, fine, fine words that all start with the same letter. That's really cool talks about people-pleasing, trying to keep others happy, never wanting to disappoint them, saying yes to everything others ask to do. Anybody have that problem? Yeah. Somebody asks you to do something, ah, fit it in there somewhere. Pats on the back. 
seeking the praise of other people, performance evaluation, which is really evaluating yourself in an unfair way, kind of a double standard, overrating yourself, thinking we're better or smarter than we really are. Possessions, putting too much stock in the material signs of, of success, you know, the things you can gain, and so you push for that, and it makes you more busy. Proving myself, trying to show others how valuable, how special I am. Pity, when we get overworked, when we get underpaid, we, we vent about it, and people feel sorry for us. We get their sympathy, so we're getting a little little, little uh, pat on, on the back kind of thing from our pity. Uh, poor planning, or maybe no planning. Uh, power, being greedy for control, hungry for influence, perfectionism, trying to do everything perfectly right. Anybody have that demon in your life? you got to do it all right, and if you don't do it right, you can't sleep at night. Position, I need to appear busier than anyone else around me. I want to be the busiest person I know. Prestige. If I just keep pushing myself, someday I'm going to finally be somebody. You know, and you have this, this inner voice that's saying, you've got to keep working harder. Posting. Any of you teenagers have that problem using social media, Twitter, Facebook, to make yourself look good or to talk about your life, to look super busy so as to impress other people? Now, you can go through this list and you can decide which of these things apply to you. As I went through them, I realized that some of the things that apply to me are people-pleasing, saying yes to too many things, saying, okay, I'll try and fit that in, proving myself, some inner voice that says, you've know, you got to show that you can make this happen, and possessions. Not that I care that much about gaining possessions, but what possessions do to you. They control your life. They, they keep you busy trying to keep those things going and maintain them and clean them and everything else. Now, the Apostle Paul wrestled with these things too. He wrote about some deliberate changes that he had to make in his life. And he must have struggled with some things like people-pleasing and, and power and, and uh, perfectionism because you see who he was when he was Saul of Tarsus and he had gone up through the ranks of Judaism and then when Jesus got of his, hold of his life, he reduced him back to the beginning and he found out how to live for God rather than himself. Through a series of experiences, he learned that the way he had been going was the wrong way, so he changed his life. And later on, he realized that the only uh, person we need to answer to is God, not to other people, not to try and please other people, not to satisfy other people, but live for God. Notice what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. He says, I carry very little if I am judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but does that not make uh, me innocent? It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. So God had taught Paul this powerful lesson. Don't live for other people. Don't live to satisfy your boss or your spouse or your children or your grandchildren. Live for God. And he had learned to live his life for God, not for anyone else. He learned to surrender his daily life to God and let God decide what he would do and where he would go and what he would accomplish. And so he says in Philippians 3, he says, Not that I have already obtained all this, I have already arrived in my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, here, here is priority, 
one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. I have learned, Paul says, to forget a lot of things, to set aside a lot of things, to choose the one thing that is important, and to press on toward the goal that God has given me. So if you're a person that seeks to impress people all the time, or that likes the praise of other people, the pat on the back, the respect, the honor they may give you, that, that maybe thinks possessions will give you so much happiness that you're willing to do whatever it takes to get them, or to maybe be driven by perfectionism, or doing everything just right, or liking the power that success brings to your life, the control that gives you over other people. All of these P's speak to our motivation. Our motivation for life. What, what are we motivated by? What drives our lives? What controls our time? The use of our resources. Now Jesus spoke powerfully to this. Jesus spoke powerfully to what it is inside of us that drives us, that moves us. He said that we can only have one master, didn't he? The Sermon on the Mount. He says, we may think that we have two masters and we try and balance them and juggle them and keep them both happy, but in reality, one of them is going to win out. One of them will always have the upper hand. We need to make sure that master of our life is God. Here's what he says in Matthew 6. He says this, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, what you treasure, what you value, what you put worth to, that's where your heart is. That's your motive. That's your motivation. We need to settle this question first. Who or what do we treasure the most? He goes on, verse 24 of Matthew 6, No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So ask yourself this morning, who or what controls my life? Who do I answer to? Who or what is in charge? Who do I serve? most willingly. Is it God or is it money? Money could just be all the material things of this world, the physical world we live in. These are matters of the heart, Jesus said. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And you cannot serve both God and money. So make a choice. Who's on top? For whom will you live? Will you live for God and eternal things or will you live for things that will not cannot last. Did you hear about the CEO this week that's quitting his job in order to spend more time with his wife and children? Did you hear about him? Max Shearson's his name. And he announced that he's stepping down as a CEO of MongoDB even though the company is growing by leaps and bounds under his leadership. It is in the, the, you know, the prime of his life when things are clicking and going as well as they can that he realized something's missing. Something is not right. And I don't know if he's a believer or not, but he realized this is not how I want my life to end up. This is not how I want my life to go. 
And so he's quitting his job. He's losing millions of dollars in salary and bonuses so that he can spend more time with his wife and his children. He's going to stay at the company, and he says, I'm going to work at regular full-time. And notice he says the words this. He says, I'm not going to work crazy full-time anymore. I'm not going to be crazy in my life because there's more to life than making this company grow and successful. And I applaud the decision that he's reached, don't you? It's a decision we need to make. We need to look at our lives. We need to realize where we have failed or where we've gone wrong and say, that's got to stop. I'm not living for God anymore. I'm living for my paycheck. Or I'm living for the things that paycheck will buy. Or I'm living for the prestige and, and the people-pleasingness in my life. That's what I'm living for. That's what's in control. I want God to be in control. And so a deliberate change has to happen. And we need to gain that focus that God's Word can bring us, that purpose, that intentionality that God's Word can bring us. Over in Romans chapter 12, Paul says this, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So the Word of God gives us our priorities. It tells us how to live, to live as living sacrifices to God, holy and acceptable to Him. This is right, this is true, this is proper. And God is honored by such a life. God is pleased by what He sees us doing. And this is the way to follow Christ, because this is the way Christ lived. Don't conform to the world's pattern, but let God transform us by changing the way we think and feel and live. And that's a process. That's a daily process. Test and approve God's will by your actions. Discover that God's way is good, that God's way is pleasing, that God's way is perfect, and the ways of the world around us are not. So crazy busyness is not a calendar problem. Crazy businesses is a, a heart problem. What's in your heart? What drives you? What mo moves you? What motivates you? Who is on the throne of your heart? I remember being asked that when I was about 11 or 12 years old. My Sunday school teacher was asking. She drew a little diagram of a, of a stick figure and inside put this heart in the, in the body of this little drawing and then put a little throne on there. She said, who's sitting on that throne? Who's the one on the throne of your heart? Who's the one calling the shots? Who's the one giving the orders? Who's the one directing what happens in your life? Is it you? Is it someone else that has great influence over you? Maybe a friend, maybe your spouse, maybe a, a, a co-worker, your boss? Or is it Jesus? Who's on the throne? Who's in control? Who is the king of your heart? As a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, don't you want to live for Jesus? Don't you want to live in such a way that Jesus is built up, that Jesus is glorified, that Jesus is honored, that Jesus is served, and that Jesus' name becomes famous, not yours? Is that the way you want to live? Don't you want to live in such a way that your life makes a difference in the world for Jesus' sake? 
not to make a difference for you so that you leave a name on a plaque or a tombstone some way, but that you leave Jesus' reputation out there for all to see and for people to be drawn to Jesus. I want you to listen to a song as we conclude the sermon today. And I want you to think about